Okay, so two weeks ago, we started this little mini sermon series called 24 Hours That Changed the World. And last week, we were outside. Uh, This room wasn't available to us, but uh, we got out of our little building a couple of weeks ago. So last week, we were outside. So um, we were kind of also outside that 24 hours. We backed up because last Sunday was Palm Sunday, so we backed up a little bit. Uh, and, and talked about Palm Sunday last week. And Palm Sunday was the week before Jesus Christ was crucified and before he rose again. And Palm Sunday, we talked about how, you know, it was, it was kind of like a parade for one man, one man on a donkey, you know, it, it, just a parade. Everybody loved Jesus that day, and boy, things changed in a hurry. And by the time we got to the end of the next week, which is kind of where we are, you know, looking back now, things had changed a whole lot. Now, two weeks ago when we started the series, we talked about the Last Supper. Palm, uh, Palm Sunday was last week. We, t- we talked two weeks ago about the Last Supper. Now, this was uh, the Passover that Jesus was eating with his disciples. Passover is something the Jews are supposed to do every year. They do it in memory of when, uh, in reminding them of when, when God brought them out of Egypt. They had been slaves and God brought them out of Egypt. And that's kind of symbolic of uh, Egypt's kind of symbolic of sin. And so it's still something for us to kind of look back to and say, yeah, God also, he, he has delivered us from the sin. You know, and not just, you know, sometimes people don't get that. They think, well, he's going to make me not sin. No, he's going to help you not sin because you don't need the, the stuff. What, the stuff that we call sin, it's, it's, it's got fruit that destroys our lives. And, and so it's a good thing when God delivers us from our sin. And so we talked about that, and, and, and that night at the Last Supper, it ended, they sang a psalm, and then they went out to a garden called Gethsemane. And I want to tell you the story here, these next, like in that first sermon two weeks ago, we probably, we probably covered about three or four hours. Today, I'm going to cover the other 20, okay? So i uh, got a lot to tell you, and I've had to cut a lot out, cut out a lot last night because I just knew I couldn't get it all said today to you. But I want to tell you this story. And so it begins here as they go to the Garden of Gethsemane. There's two names up there on the screen, Judas and Malchus. Uh, there's, there's a whole lot of stuff they could tell you because they were in the garden for at least three hours. But that, that three hours uh, that they were there, they were praying. And I'm not really here to talk to you about the praying necessarily right now, but the fact that Jesus prayed for three hours. Now, he prayed for three hours, but his disciples, they kept falling asleep. So he'd pray, he'd go over and wake them up. He'd come back and pray, and he'd go back over and wake them up. Now, before you fault them, it was three hours, right? How many of y'all could stay awake praying for three hours, you know, about midnight? I mean, you know, it's, that'd be a tough thing to do. And, and probably the reason was is they didn't quite get it yet about what they were about to go through, about what Jesus was going through in these next 20 hours. They didn't get it, and so it was easy for them to just uh, oh, pray a little prayer and fall off to sleep. So he finally comes to them the last time, and he wakes them up. Now, 11 of his disciples, you know, he had 12, they were with him. Uh, after, you know, after the Last Supper, they were still there. But Judas had left early. Okay, so he had left early because he had, he had uh, agreed to betray Jesus uh, up to the, uh, uh, to the religious leaders uh, of that day, and, uh, and this, he was going to lead the soldiers. So he left that room early where they were at the Last Supper, and the other 11 went with Jesus. They're now you know, they're sleeping or praying, you know. And now Judas comes walking in, and he's got this contingent of soldiers with him, and they've come to arrest Jesus. And now the disciples, they, they see what's happening. They know, and they see Judas. They see what's going on, and they, they see that Jesus is about to be arrested. And so in Luke chapter 22, 
Oh, the scripture tells us, uh, they see it and they say, well, is it, do we, is it time to fight Jesus? Because we brought the swords. And one of them, and, and we know this because of one of the other eyewitnesses that has written this down, tells us that, that it, it was Simon Peter. So Simon Peter struck at the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. This, this high priest's slave name was Malchus. That's why you've got his name up there. I want, I want you to see what happens to him. So he's there. He's, he's a slave. He, he's not... He's not a soldier. He's there for whatever reason. But, but he's there, and his right ear gets slashed, slashed off. But, but Jesus said no more of this, and he touched the man's ear and, and healed him. So Jesus picks the ear up off the ground and puts it back on Malchus's head and, and, and reattaches it right, then, and right there and says, no, 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 no more of this, Simon Peter. Don't do any of this. Malchus gets a healing, and it is before the stripes on the back of Jesus. I'll explain that in just a few moments, but I want you to, just want you to know that, notice that, and I'll explain what I mean there in just a few minutes, that it was even before that happened. Okay, so now the, the soldiers take Jesus over to the religious leaders. They've, they've gathered together, uh, and gathering together, they, they start to accuse Jesus of breaking the Old Testament law. That's the law that, that God had given up to that point, what they understood about the law. The thing about it was, was Jesus hadn't broken the law. They couldn't find anybody to say Jesus did this, this, this. They actually hired people to come in and testify to lie against Jesus. And so he had not broken the law. They couldn't find anybody to testify, but they were breaking the law. They did several things in those hours that, that, that were breaking the law that they were accusing Jesus of breaking. And it, it, he was there pretty much the rest of the night, from somewhere maybe about one, two o'clock or something, up until daybreak, Jesus was there. They were, they were uh, mocking him, they were laughing at him, they were spitting in his face, and they were even striking him across the face. Religious leaders, religi religious leaders were doing this to him. And it was about this same time that one of his followers, that one that drew his sword, Simon Peter, the one, the one that you know, was ready to defend him. Is it time to fight Jesus? We brought the swords. And he drew his sword. It was during that time that Simon Peter denied, standing outside, Jesus inside. He's getting beat up. He's even by religious, getting beaten by religious leaders and being accused. And Simon Peter is outside, and three times he denies him. He can draw his sword and cut off a man's ear, but he can't just stand up for Jesus. I want to show you some scripture. And what I want to show you is not where Simon Peter does this, but three times he denies knowing Jesus. It says even one time that he, he swore, or here in Alabama we'd say he cussed, you know. He, he cussed. Now, I don't know the man. Three times. But instead of showing that scripture, I want you to see this scripture about where Jesus told him it was going to happen. And again, Luke chapter 22. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. He was, man, I'm ready to die. But just not ready to own up to knowing you. Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you know me. Here's, here's what I wanted to just say, why I wanted to take you to this one, is Jesus already knew that Simon Peter was going to fail. Okay, I want you to get, that's going to be really important. At the end of this message, I want to kind of pull everything together. You know, like a drawstring, how you just kind of pull everything together real tight. I'm going to tell you this story, I'm going to pull, pull it real tight in just a little while, but I want you to see this. Jesus knew Simon Peter was going to deny him. But Jesus still kept Simon Peter around. He said, you're my man. You know, had him at the Last Supper and all these things, and it, even though he knew Simon Peter was, was going to deny him. And then at sunrise, you know, the, the, the religious leaders, I mean, they, they are they're attacking Jesus just the whole night long. Then at sunrise, what Judas has done has become so great in his heart, it's more than he can bear. He, he gets to a place like he doesn't even see an out. 
He doesn't see a solution. He doesn't see a way to fix what he has done. I I, I have sold out the Son of God. And they've arrested him, and they are wanting to kill him. They're they're talking about putting him to death. And there's more than he can bear. And he goes out and finds a tree, and he hangs himself, commits suicide. And before we, you know, just jump on Judas a whole lot here and say, well, Judas gave up. Judas just threw in the towel and gave up. Yeah, 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 he did. But all of us have been there, haven't we? We've all been to a place where we didn't see a way out. We didn't see a solution. It's like, I don't see a good ending for this. And and we're looking for that ending. We're looking for the solution, and we can't find the solution. And and, and we're all tempted to to do something drastic sometimes. And Judas, he he just did the most ultimate drastic thing you could do, and he took his own life. So about is about the same time that Judas was hanging himself, that, you know, the sun was breaking, the new day was, uh, had, had been approaching for a while, and so now the religious leaders, they wanted Jesus not just to go away, they wanted him to die. But they didn't have the authority to do that because the Romans ruled Palestine during that time. And so they didn't have authority, so they had to get some authority to say, no, Jesus needs to be put to death. And so they sent Jesus over to Pilate. He was local authority. He was the governor of the area. And they sent him over there. And so Pilate, he is uh, uh, questioning Jesus, asking him a lot of, a lot of things. So, so what are they accusing you of? And you know, what's, what's the evidence they have against you and all this? And he and Jesus talk a while. And he, he finally goes back out to the religious leaders. He said, look, guys, I can't find anything that this guy's done wrong, especially not to die for. And they demand, no, no, you've got to put him to death. And so he says, okay, I'll send him over to Herod. You know, Herod's more one of them. He, you know, Pilate's Roman, Herod's more one of them. Maybe he can find something we can, you know, appease these people with. So he goes to Herod. Now, Herod, he has been looking forward to Jesus showing up. When he finds out Jesus is on his way, he's excited because he's heard of all this stuff Jesus done. You know, that he's healed blinded eyes, you know, and ears that have been deaf have been unstopped by Jesus, and, and that he controlled, like he's got this power over even evil spirits, and, and even over nature, Jesus has spoken things that happened. So, so Herod is excited, but he's excited because, man, he wants to see a magic act, you know? He's not wanting to meet Jesus. He's not wanting to meet God. He wants to see a magic act. And how many of us are the same way, right? We, we don't, it's like we, we want to get through the shortcuts. We don't really want the relationship. We just want, hey, God, show up and do a magic act because I'm in a mess today. We like the Santa Claus God, right? You know, we only need him about once a year, you know, just like Santa Claus, right? Climb up in his lap about once a year. Say, hey, look, I'm in a mess. Here's my wish list today. Can you do anything about it? So before we get, you know, come down too hard on him, let's also ourselves here, let's look at this, think through this, and realize, wait a minute, we've done the exact same thing. Herod just wanted a magic act. How many times I've, I've had people just do the same? Let's get beyond the magic act. Well, Herod asked him a bunch of questions, and Jesus doesn't even reply to him. He, he, he will not give him the show that he looked for. But he just doesn't reply. Herod gives up, sends him back to Pilate. Now Pilate questions him again. He goes outside and tries to talk to them. They won't listen to him. This is Pilate's verdict right here. It says, Pilate announced his verdict. I have examined him thoroughly on this point in your presence and find him innocent. Y'all know what that word means, innocent? Let me tell you something. It does not identify anybody in this room. There is no one in this room that is innocent. But Two government authorities, officials. Oh, yeah, because it says, 
I sent him over to Herod, and Herod came to the same conclusion. Jesus is innocent. Two government officials has declared the Son of God to be innocent. That does not describe me. I'm not innocent. I've done a whole lot of stuff. I don't want anybody to know about. Can can I get an amen right there? Yeah. Pray that it just stays under the blood. Keep layering that blood over it. There's a whole lot of stuff. I'm not innocent. And you aren't either. But Jesus was innocent. And so he says, I'm going to have him flogged. That means beaten. You saw in the the video a moment ago, you know how they they took that that cat of nine tails, that whip, and beat Jesus? I'm going to have him flogged, and then I'll release him. But they kept shouting. The crowd kept shouting, incited by the religious leaders, crucify him, crucify him. And for the third time, Pilate said, but why? He's done nothing. What crime has he committed? And he continues on and says, "I'm, I'm sorry. I think we skipped one there, did we? Or was that it? I'm sorry, we're good. And so he says, what crime has he committed? There's no crime that he's committed. So he turns him loose. Uh, no, he doesn't. So he, 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 he uh, gives him a pardon. No, he doesn't. He hasn't committed any crime, but he turns him over to them. He gives them, he gives them to them. He declares them innocent, but he gives them exactly what they wanted. What crime has he committed? No crime that he's committed but he gives them to the Jews. He makes him pay for crimes he didn't commit. And you know what, uh, and we're not going to read the Scripture today, but he has, a, he has a, a basin of water brought out. And he said, look, I'm not going to be a part of this. I'm not going to side with you, and I'm not going to side with Jesus. And he washes his hands and says, I'm washing my hands of this. But here's the thing about Jesus. You can never wash your hands of your encounters with him. Today, because he's digging at your heart, because you've got problems, right? I mean, we all do. We've got issues. And he says, I want to help you with that. And every time he digs at your heart like that, you can't wash your hands and walk away. Uh, it's, he's going to be there. You can't wash him off of you. He's there. He's saying, please let me help. Let me, like all these people that need, he says, please let me help. I, need, I, I, want, I want to help you. But and, and Pilate said, no, I've just washed my hands. I, I'm, I'm just not going to do it. You can't do it. It won't work. So he turned him over to them, and they beat him, and they tortured him. You saw some of the, uh, you know, some of the pictures there, how they beat him and how they tortured him. It, 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 they didn't just laugh at him, but they did laugh at him. They didn't just mock him, but they did mock him. They beat him, and they tortured him. And why did he do that? Why, why was this necessary that he did that? You know Why? Five centuries before Jesus ever lived, God spoke to a prophet named Isaiah, and he said, Isaiah, I want you to write this about the Messiah that's coming, my son that is coming. And he speaks into his heart, and Isaiah starts writing about him. And in verse 5 of Isaiah chapter 53, he says, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole, and he was whipped so we could be healed. Do you know why he went through all of that? Because of me. You you could say because of me also. He went through all of that because of us. Because of our rebellion, because of our sins, because we're broken, we need to be made whole. We're broken, we got things that are broken in our lives. Our marriages are broken, our our relationships are broken, our finances are broken, you know, our health is broken. We've got brokenness in our lives. He did all this so we could be healed, and, and, and so we could be made whole, and, and he was whipped, or, or the stripes were put on his back, and by those stripes, we're healed. And all, all of this was done 
for me and you. And then they took him out and they crucified him. They gave him a cross. They made him carry the cross up the hill, out, out through Jerusalem and out the city gates and up the hill. But it, it, they had been beaten so much and, and for so long that he, he couldn't make it. So they had to pull somebody out of the crowd and, and have him help Jesus carry the cross to the top of the hill. And, and they laid him on the cross and they... And they, and they you know, drove the nails into his hands and into his feet. You know, we, we've seen the video. We've seen all this. I, I want you to realize that everything that happened to him like, like that was not just because he wanted to, but it was because of you, because of your brokenness, because of your hurt, because of, uh, you know, where I need to be, I need to be, where he wants to get me to. He did this for us. And so in the, to neglect that and to try to wash our hands of it and say, I'm not going to, is to say, Jesus, I don't care what you did for me. It doesn't, I don't, I don't want any part of it. But he did this for us. And the very first thing, you know, the very first thing that we're told about when he gets crucified, he, they get the cross up, the very first thing we're told is right there in Luke 23, verse 34. He looks up to heaven and he says, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. He forgives these people that have crucified, these people that have been beating him all night long and now are still standing there at the foot of the cross, laughing at him, ridiculing. He says he's God, let him save himself. And he says, God, my father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Somebody, somebody sitting here needs to hear this. You need to hear this. If he can forgive that, he can forgive anything. Whatever you need forgiveness, whatever you feel like is just too much for you to, for you to forgive. You, if he can forgive that, he can forgive anything. And then, then he's got these thieves on either side of him, and one of them, they start in with the rest of the crowd. Yeah, if you're really a savior, why don't you get us all off these crosses here? But the thief on the other side says, wait a minute. You and I, we deserve this punishment that we're getting. You and I, we deserve to die. But this man was declared innocent. By Pilate and Herod declared innocent. He does not deserve to die. And then he looks to Jesus and said, Jesus, remember me when you get to your kingdom. And Jesus says, I'll tell you the truth that today, today you'll be with me in paradise. What the thief couldn't get in life because he waited too long. He'd done too much. He, what he could not get in life, he got in debt. He got his pardon. And in the new life, he got his pardon today. I assure you, today, today you will be with me. Today you'll be with me. He couldn't get it here, but he got it there because he waited too long. He, he tried to wash his hands just a couple of times too many until but the last moment. Don't get to that moment. Don't, don't, don't push the envelope so far that you only get there. He barely got there at that last moment. And what joy you and I can experience here, he only got to enjoy in the next life. Don't do that. Don't push it aside. Don't delay. Don't wait. Receive it now. Wh whatever it is that you need, the help that you need from God, the, 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 the healing for the, the brokenness, the wholeness, the peace, the, the direction, the wisdom, whatever it is you need, accept it now. Don't wait till the last minute. Accept it now. Say, God, yeah. You wanna, God wants to help me. I mean, you know, wow, what, a, what a, an amazing thought, right? Is that God wants to help me? Yeah. He does. So why don't you let him? And then Jesus sees Mary and John there at the cross. The only disciple that's really right there with him is John. And he's often called John the Beloved. And, and he's, he's 
I mean, you, the way I read Scripture, John is Jesus' best friend, and Jesus is John's best friend. I mean, they are best friends. If you read the Scripture, I mean, that's what it says. They are best friends. And there he is watching his best friend die. And right beside him is Mary, Jesus' mother. Uh, Mary's a widow. Her husband Joseph has passed away. And, and now her, her oldest child is hanging on a cross, and she's watching this. These two, their lives are falling apart. Mary and John, their lives are falling apart. It's like, wait a minute, this is my best friend. Wait a minute, this is my son. She has no way of taking care of herself, and she has no body. I mean, you, you know the emotions you go through from a death in the family. She's already been through at least one more. We know that her husband was dead. Now she's going through another. You know, and she doesn't hear about it on the phone. She's actually witnessing the whole thing. The emotions, the pain, the sorrow, the, the fear, the confusion, the loneliness that is going. And God, he does a miracle. Jesus does a miracle right there when he says, John, take my mom to be your mom and take care of her. Mom, take John and take care of him like you always took care of me. And he does a miracle by giving them each other. I didn't get an amen. Because we don't see that as a miracle, right? That's not a miracle for God to connect. It is when you're the lonely one. It is when you're the one in fear. It is when you have the confusion. It is when you are, are all alone and you don't know what you're going to do. And God says, let me give you somebody. Let me give you someone to walk with you and to, and to, and, and to believe in you and, and for you guys to, to work together and work this whole thing out. Then it is a miracle. You see, every, every miracle is individual. And sometimes miracles, they, they don't look like miracles to people on the outside. They only look like miracles to the ones who are receiving it. There's a miracle waiting on you right now, today. There's a miracle in this place. So th this whole thing, I'm, I'm skipping a whole lot of this story, but this whole thing wraps up right here. It, it, it's probably about 3 o'clock in the afternoon after Jesus is crucified at 9 and about 3 o'clock in the afternoon now. He says, it is finished. And he looks to heaven and says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And he breathes his last and he dies. And thus ends the 24 hours that changed the world. 24 hours that changed the world. But it didn't change the world in the sense of sometimes we talk about changing the world. Even though, yes, I mean, everything about this world today, I mean, look around you. The way we live our life, stuff we do is impacted by the life of this man, Jesus Christ. And those last 24 hours changed the world. But, but the real power of the world change is not that he changed the world, but he changes the world of all those individuals that he comes in contact with. That's the power of this, that he changes your world and your world and your world and your world. He changes the world of all these people. Can I show it to you right here? He breathes his last breath. It's been dark for about three hours now. The skies have been overcast and it's dark. And he breathes his last breath and an earthquake rumbles through the city and shakes. And, and graves open up and bodies come out of the graves. And some, it is, you know, eyewitness accounts say that some of these bodies came back to life. 
And the, the temple veil is huge. I mean, nothing like this. I mean, much thicker than anything like this. It was torn in two from the top to the bottom. And all this happens. And, and Mark chapter 15, verse 39 says, when the centurion now, centurion is, is like a captain of a guard, you know, of a guard. He's like a captain over several soldiers, okay? So he's like a captain in the army. When the a centurion who stood there in the front of Jesus, okay, think about his perspective. He, he, he's not like me and you reading a story, hearing it told. He's standing there looking at Jesus. He's standing, he is an eyewitness. And he's not, he's not a part of Jesus' team. He's on the other team. He's part of the crucifixion crew. He might have been the guy who, who went to the store and bought the three nails, you know, that were nailed into Jesus' hands and feet. He might have been the guy that handed the whip over to a soldier and said, here, you do the beating today. This is a guy on the other team. And with his eyewitness account from the other team, he's looking at this and seeing all of this happen. He says, surely this man was the Son of God. I mean, if you, if you want any evidence whatsoever, look at this. Here's a man on the other side. I mean, he, Jesus has already been declared innocent by two local officials. And now here is a guy that, that's actually in the middle of crucifying that says, surely this must be the Son of God. Oh, this guy's life was changed. You see, that's the miracle of the 24 hours. That it, it changes. The moments that you have with Jesus change your world. A centurion believes. How does that happen? A mean old rough centurion Roman soldier believes that this is really God. Come on, everybody pay attention. This is really God. A thief just a few moments ago gets, gets a pardon that for the rest of eternity he is going to be with Jesus. Mary and John, I mean, you, know, you may think that their needs are insignificant, but not if you've walked where they walked. And, and, and they get that minister to right there in the middle of Jesus hanging on a cross and dying in an extreme excruciating pain. He thinks about them and he says, but let me take care of you too. Every person that he's come in contact with this day, somehow something is changing about them. Healing is provided for now by the stripes on his back. And before that, you remember? I told you to think about it. Remember this, Malchus? Even before the stripes on his back, Jesus proved I can heal by sticking Malchus's ear back on his head. Even before the stripes went on Jesus' back. His power to, to, to do all those things, and, and it's there for everybody. Even the religious leaders that wanted him dead so badly, that they beat him all night long, and then they sent him back and forth to local government officials trying to get him put to death. Even them, yes, Jesus died for them. We know that at least two of them, tradition says that, you know, that they weren't actually there at the meeting, but we know at least two of them did believe in Jesus. Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, they actually come and take the body of Jesus down off the cross. The, so out of even these religious leaders, Jesus is there for him. And Pilate, yeah, Pilate, I mean, he had the faith that was there. I mean, he was, it's almost like he was saying, oh, I don't want to touch this man. He might really be the son of God. But he couldn't just act on the faith, and he kept washing his hands. I'm just not going to get involved here. You can't do that, though. What about Judas? Yep, Judas too. Jesus died for Judas. He was also invited to the Last Supper the night before Jesus died, even though Jesus knew he was going to betray him that night. And Jesus, 
In, the, in that last supper, in those moments, you know one of the things Jesus did is he washed the disciples' feet. And he went around and washed. He didn't wash 11 disciples. He washed 12 disciples' feet. He even washed Judas's feet the night just before he would betray him. So for all of us, and don't leave Simon Peter out, right? Simon Peter who cursed or cussed. No, no, blankety-blank, I don't know him. He even died for him too. Let me show you something. You remember the scripture I showed you about where Jesus said, Simon Peter, you're going to mess up tonight. Let me show you what Jesus said right before that to Simon Peter. Back to Luke 22. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. All of you disciples, Satan is trying to sift you. He is trying to destroy you. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen your brothers. This is before it happened. The next couple of verses, he tells Simon Peter, you're going to deny me three times. But before he even told him that, he says, Simon Peter, I know what Satan's trying to do, for you, do to you. He said, because of that, I've been praying for you. I'm praying for you. And I'm praying that, yeah, you're going to fail. But I'm praying your faith doesn't fail you. You need to understand this. Jesus knew Simon Peter's next failure. And he didn't look on him in condemnation. But he said, when you turn back, when you repent, when you say, oh, I messed up and I'm sorry, strengthen your brothers also. Did you get this? He knows the next place you're going to fail. Oh, I know some people say, Pastor, don't tell people that. They'll use it as a license to sin. Just, I, don't, I don't think so. You understand this? Jesus knows the next time you're going to fall flat on your face. And you know what he's done? He's already praying for you about it. And he's already planning of how he's going to take you by the hand and get you back up on your feet. And then also use you to strengthen somebody else. What an amazing God he is. Go ahead. Yeah, you can give him a hand of praise. Go ahead. What an amazing God. All these... And those four stories you saw in the video early, earlier, Kyle, uh, Brooke Pierce, you know, Regina, Clint, those stories that you heard, those, I mean, you know those people. If you don't know any of them, tell me after service, I'll introduce you. You know those people. These are true stories happening right here in front of our eyes of how God impacts your life, and, and you got to decide, do I do something with it like Simon Peter did and like Mary and, and John and this thief did, or, or do I wash, try to wash my hands and keep walking away and thinking I'm going to try to wash my hands and I just don't want to deal with this? Oh, come on, listen. It's, it's not just about, I don't, you know, I don't know what you think Christianity is, but it's not a set of rules. It is a God that is all-powerful, who stands for you and says, look, I've done all, all I can do to get it ready for you. Now just act in your faith and let me put your life completely together. Let me heal it. Let me make it whole. Let me bring peace where there's confusion and doubt and trouble. Let me heal your marriage. Let me give you, you know, I can give you some favor over here. You need a raise. You need a better job. All those kinds. Of, and yeah, the, the, the sin that keeps messing you up over and over and over. Let me even help you with that. I already died for it. You saw in the video, right? 
He already died for it. Let him wash that away too. Bow with me. Would you bow with me? I want to pray with you right now. I want to ask you.